Hey, Brandon Laws here. I'm your host of the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thanks for the download and thanks for joining us for today's episode. I have a conversation with Jackie Jenkins Scott. She's the author of the brand new book out in February, The Seven Secrets of Responsive Leadership, Drive Change, Manage Transitions, and Help Any Organization Turn Around. This comes from her three decades of experience as a senior and executive leader in public health, higher education, and corporate and nonprofit boards. And I asked her, you know, why she wrote this book. She's like, you know, people kept asking me to write a book. I had all this experience in these different sectors. And, you know, she came up with these big four ideas, what makes up a great leader, really. It actually reminded me a lot of Jim Collins's ideas and good to great. She's got these big four attributes to what makes a responsive leader. And I'll let her describe what a responsive leader is, but it very much aligns with everything that we talk about on this podcast. And I, you know, especially after reading this book and having the conversation, I truly believe, you know, the attributes that Jackie describes as a responsive leader is what is going to transform workplaces all around the world. So it aligns very much with what we're all about here on this podcast. And I think you're really going to enjoy this discussion with Jackie Jenkins Scott. Please, if you haven't done so, go over to LinkedIn or Instagram, send me a direct message, let me know how you're liking the podcast, what you want to hear, anything like that. And the most important, go over to Apple Podcasts, give us five-star review, written review would be even better. And I'll tell you what, if you go give us a review and you send it to me in the screenshot or just so I know that you did it, I will send you something special. So direct message me and let me know that you did it and we'll chat. I'd love to connect with you. Enjoy the conversation with Jackie Jenkins Scott. Hey, Jackie, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I am pleased to have this conversation this afternoon. Yeah, so we're going to talk about your new book. It came out February 1st, 2020, The Seven Secrets of Responsive Leadership, Drive Change, Manage Transitions, and Help Any Organization Turn Around. I had a chance to read it yesterday. And I think that the way I'd want to start is the most basic question of all, like, what is responsive leadership? For people who haven't, or they're listening, and they haven't heard of responsive leadership, what is it? And what is it the opposite of? Like, if there's responsive leaderships where we want to go, what is the alternative to that? And where most leaders might be right now? Thank you. That's a great way to start this conversation. For me, responsive leadership is really that the basis of our decisions as leader is the humanity of the company, of the organization, the people, that we make our decisions based on that. Now, you know, there are many ways to lead and there are many tools that we use as leaders. So sometimes leaders are described as visionary or systematic, that we, you know, make our leadership decisions based on a set of tools and principles or finances. For me, the responsive leader at the end of the day understands that it is the humanity of that organization that will allow it to shine and through the triumphs and really make it through the hardest times of transition. And so we make our leadership decisions based on that. I love that. You talk about the big four leadership characteristics that make up responsive leadership. How do they support this whole idea of responsive leadership? You know, what are those big four? I think people like listening really get a lot of value from knowing what those four characteristics are. When I think about responsive leaders, it's really 
we wear our values on our sleeves as leaders. At the end of the day, leadership really is about who we are as a person. And so I thought we spent a lot of time thinking about those attributes, and I call them leadership attributes. The first is curiosity. If we're a responsive leader, we are curious not only about the world around us, about our competitors, but we're curious about what drives people, what drives the organization, and how we can use that to learn and grow as an organization. So it's really that concept of continuous learning. You can't be an innovative leader if you're not curious. You can't transition or change your company if you're not curious. So curiosity and the desire to understand and to grow intellectually is my first big attribute. The second is humility, that we as leaders, we are not here alone. We can't do it alone. We are the bridge between those that came before us as a leader and those who will come after us. So this ability to understand with humility how much I have to learn and grow from others is that second big attribute. And the third is empathy. The ability to, even if we can't walk in someone else's shoes, we can try to understand. And that will help us as we're driving and making our decisions as leaders. And then the final is resilience. People call it grit, but the ability to recover quickly. As leaders and as companies and as organizations, we are going to have our ups and downs. And the ability to recover quickly, to learn from the ups as well as the downs, the highs as well as the lows, is for me that fourth of the big four attributes. I love the big four. I totally ate that concept up. Years ago, I read Good to Great by Jim Collins. And I think he outlined I can't even remember. It was, might have been like 10 attributes of a good to great company and certain leadership styles. And I love how you framed it up. I think it's a good way to look at like, okay, if you want to be a responsive leader, here are really the four main components to it, to being a responsive leader. So how did you come up with those ideas? Interviewing lots of people or in your own experience? Like, how did you come up with that? It's a combination. Actually, I was at a corporate board dinner a few years ago, and it was a dinner of many people who are on corporate boards. And the discussion was around leadership attributes. And we talked about a number of them, but those big four kind of rose for me. And I just looked at my own career over years and think about how I lead and what makes for me a good leader, lots of reading. So that's the big mm-hmm. four for me. Yeah, I love that. One question you posed that I thought like it really illustrated the differences between a systematic leader and a responsive leader. What's your vision for the job? And I think you posed that question in terms of maybe a leader was interviewing for a job and that was the question that was posed. But I'm curious what your response would be. How would a systematic leader answer that question? And what would a responsive leader say to that question? Well, I can share with you my own experience. (laughs) (laughs) Systematic leader, and there's no right or wrong to any of this. I think it's being comfortable with who we are as a leader. But if one is interviewing for a job, one might anticipate that question and come in with an answer. I'm interviewing for a job in a turnaround company. I have, as part of my interview process, I have looked at the financials. I have studied the organization. 
and I have three or four things that I would implement right away, or this would be my plan, versus someone who could have studied financials, understands the company, and they might say, I'm going to take time to go through a process with the company to figure out what our vision is, what our next step is, what our next steps will be, what our next steps are. That's the difference. And part of it is what is our comfort level? If you're a person who feels like I need to come in with the answers, then you're going to hopefully do your homework to come in with those answers. And then you got to keep your fingers crossed that they're the right answers. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I like that question too, because it illustrates the point that the differences between the two types of leaders and the responsive leader is probably listening. They're probably going to ask the question, almost kick it back to them and say, well, what's your vision for the company? Like, And listen and be curious about what they're going to say and even get more of a sense for their point of view to then come back with a response versus like doing all their homework in advance and coming with an answer. It seems like then it's all you know, deriving from their own thoughts versus making it a dialogue. Exactly, exactly. And that actually happened to me in an interview. You know, one of the questions, what's your vision? (laughs) And I had to say really nicely, it's coming up with a shared vision that's really going to transform. It's not really about the leader's vision. It's about how we come together to find that vision and then actually, you know, deliver on that vision. And the leader understands that he or she cannot do this alone. They have to bring the team along with them. And even if the leader has her own or his own ideas about that vision, ideally you want the people in the organization to feel it's their vision too, not them implementing your vision. But really together, we're implementing our vision. Secret number two, you talk about leading with heart. And you pose an interesting question somewhere in the chapter where you say, is staying in this organization right for me? And to me, it seems like if you're leading with heart, you'd probably never want to leave. Like You just feel like you're so invested in the people, the organization. But I'm really curious how you would answer that. If you're leading with heart, and you're posing that question of staying or going, how do you answer that? Well, you know, first of all, I want to say particularly for the audience that leading with heart does not mean that you don't have very strong standards. It doesn't mean that the bottom line is not important. One can lead with heart and still be a hard-nosed business person when it comes to the company. So I think that leading with heart can also cause you to constantly question, am I the right at Mm -hmm. this time? And at some point, you know, those are questions that we all face. And answering that question, especially when technically you're happy with your job. I was in a position at the Demick Center coming into my 20th year, and I loved the job. But I also felt that at some point I needed to move on and the organization needed to have a different kind of leader, to experience a different leader. And I've always felt like the really great leaders leave great organizations and that organization 
continues yeah. to thrive and to grow. But it's always a very, very hard decision, a tough decision, yeah. especially when you are in a position that you absolutely love. Yeah. And I just finished Bob Iger's book, The Right of a Lifetime. He's the CEO of Disney and he's been so for the last 14 or 15 years, something like that. And I remember sometime during the book, he kind of illustrated the same point you did, which is like, I think I need to leave at some point. And, you know, I've left this company better off than it was when I started as CEO. But I don't know when that right time is. And I think he just constantly evaluates that. And I think he was supposed to leave a couple of years ago, but then things were so exciting and he was re-energized from it that he continued to stay. But I think he's still thinking that he needs to leave at some point and that's truly what he believes. So that way, these fresh blood, fresh ideas and fresh leadership can take over and he left it better. So it seems like you kind of have the same perspective. as. No, I write in my book about Sister Janet Eisner at Emmanuel College. She has been there 40 years. And I think she would tell you that the college has gone through probably 10 or 15 transitions during the, her 40 wow. years. So it really is an individual decision. But I think the challenge is that we're always challenging ourselves. That's the curiosity yeah. part of us, that we're asking those questions. If we're not asking those questions, then that may be an issue not only for yourself, but for the organization. Secret number three, I had a very interesting reaction to this. But then when I read through the chapter, I totally got what you meant by it. So leaders should keep their bags packed. That's the title. That's secret number three. What do you mean by that? Just a quick story. I heard a man named John Boone speak when I was a graduate student. And the title of his talk was Keep Your Bags Packed. And essentially what he told us, it has stuck with me for my entire career, is that we all will experience some points in our leadership journey where our values are going to be challenged. And so the keeping your bags packed is a mentality. It is something that says, at some point, I am willing to walk away because my integrity is put on the line. And that's the mentality. And if I believe if we have that mentality, it will help us to do what's best for the company, for the organization. We are going to be a responsive leader, in effect, because we're going to really look at the humanity of the organization and my own humanity in order to lead. So it was a lesson I learned many, many years ago, and it stuck with me. He happened to be the first African-American commissioner of corrections in Massachusetts. And he came here and, you know, he found a very challenging situation with patronism and all kinds of things that needed changing. He only lasted 18 months in Massachusetts and he left. And I think, you know, it's that lesson of keeping your bags packed when I cannot be at my best, when my values are compromised, mm -hmm. then I have to have the courage. I think that mentality of keeping our bags packed gives us the courage to make strong, challenging, yeah. courageous decisions. The main points I took from that section too is 
you know, without leaders being able to lead themselves first, I don't know how they can take care of other people too. And especially if there's a lack of alignment. So if like I have my own set of values and I'm leading others and they don't share the same values, like I'm going to be out the door. I can't lead other people if they don't see the way that, like if my values aren't aligned with theirs. And sometimes it's very challenging because it's, you know, we have to go through personal reflections and personal learning. And even as leaders, we are people. And it is experiencing that it's really not a personal thing, but very often it becomes a personal thing because we care about the organization. We care about the people. We have our own pride and all kinds of things that are impacting how we make decisions. And so this attitude about keeping our bags packed, I think is one way to help us make those courageous decisions, especially when we're challenged personally. You describe in secret number four, which is stay on point in the midst of risk. You describe that having and conveying messages in a simplified way is really vital to being influential and being an influential leader. And you describe which I've heard this story before, which is so I love it. I'm, I'm going to bring it up. You describe a product announcements by one of Steve Jobs at Apple for the iPhone and Sergey Brin at Google for the Google Glass. Describe those situations and why they're so different. Well, you know, one really tried to understand, you know, what was driving creating that product. And the other said, oh, well, here's my product. I'm going with it and did not take the time (laughs) to find out if this product mattered to anybody. (laughs) So true. In my early days as a leader, I had a consultant who would tell me, same message multiple times, multiple venues. In other words, you're dealing with people, and we need to be able to bring them along with us. And we can't just say one time, this is the decision, we're going to go with it and go with it. That it takes us, you know, same message, multiple times, multiple venues for our organization to sometimes work through those processes or even just to understand them. Yeah, it was interesting just on that point of the Steve Jobs versus Sergey Brin messaging. It felt like, Sergey Brin's was a very systematic approach. It was very much like a, here's our product. And then they brought out somebody to describe the features and benefits of it. Not even fully well knowing if people are going to buy this product or even enjoy it. Whereas Steve Jobs went up there and basically said, okay, there's three things we're announcing today. A widescreen iPod with a touch control, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device, an iPod, an iPhone, an internet communicator. Are you getting it? It's not three separate devices, it's one device. And so he's almost like tugging at the needs of people and what they're already using, but it's all on one device. Whereas the other approach was not so responsive like Steve Jobs' approach yes, was. Is that yes, right? absolutely. And unfortunately, Google Glass, millions and millions of dollars went into that development <laughs> yeah. of that product and the rollout. One of the biggest challenges that I think leaders face is opposition. How do we manage those who oppose our point of view, especially when we're not sure if it's emotionally charged or based on facts? Like, I'm sure having opposition is good for us. It gives us to look at different points of view. 
But is it ever good to have everyone agree with us? Or is the opposition, opposition a good thing? Opposition is definitely a good thing. Opposition helps us to fine tune and refine our product. It helps us to understand our product. It helps us to be able to explain the issue or the situation. I think it's understanding the opposition. I use an analogy very often, you know, the bar chart, you know, there will always be a certain percentage of people in the organization, in the company, who will accept whatever the decision is. And then there's a larger group that, mm, you know, they will accept it. There's the smaller group that's enthusiastic. And then there's this other group, a small group too, generally, that will oppose it. And as leaders, we often spend our time with the first two groups because that's maybe 75% of our organization. And we don't understand what's driving the 25% who are opposed. And sometimes within that 25%, there's a group who are opposed for very good reasons. And if we don't listen to them and if we don't understand what those reasons are, Actually, they may help us. They may help us to make a better product, to deliver it, to get involvement and engagement from our teams. So understanding that opposition is very, very important to the successful implementation of whatever our project is. And then there's a small percentage who will oppose no matter what. Then you have to make a decision. We're moving forward. We can't please you. We can't engage you. But that piece of the opposition that either can help us make the rollout or if it's, you know, a new policy that we want to roll out to help make it a better rollout or explain it better or even make it a better policy, very important for us to have that feedback. So opposition and feedback from opposition, I think, is critical to how a responsive leader will implement and make his or her decision. When we started the conversation with the big four, curiosity, humility, empathy, resilience, could you apply those to each of these secrets? Meaning like with opposition, could you say like a responsive leader will take into account like curiosity, for example, like, okay, so a responsive leader might ask questions about, okay, why do you oppose? How do you kind of think through the big four and each of these ideas? That's the perfect example. The responsive leader will want data will be curious as to what's driving that opposition. So they're going to want information. And there are many ways, many tools, many techniques we can use to get that information. But if we want to implement a policy or create a new product and we don't find out what's driving the opposition, that product is not going to be as sharp or our decision is not going to be as sharp. And that's the humility. The humility says we don't have all the answers. And if there's a group of people in the company that really is opposed to this, we need to take the time to understand what's driving that opposition. And the empathy is that we care about, we care about what you have to say, and we're going to listen to you. Now, we may not end up taking your advice. Very often, we will decide to implement that product or that policy anyway. But the fact that we listened and we heard you and you understand that we heard you can make all the difference in the world in how we implement something. And then, of course, resilience and the ability to bounce back. 
because sometimes we're going to implement a policy and it's going to fall flat, even though we listen to the opposition. So then we've got to figure out how do we bounce back. I want to wrap up this discussion with secret number six, which is value the interconnectedness of people. Personally, I think this is the biggie. I think as leaders, we're having the biggest challenge right now where you bring people together from different backgrounds and belief systems and get them aligned and working together. I think the past is so ingrained in a lot of organizations where you bring people together who are virtually the same. And I think it's how the good old boys club starts. And I think we're transitioning out of that. But how do we get... Because I think this is the biggest opportunity is the workplace is a, a great place where you have people from different backgrounds. They look different, different belief systems. And you can get them together aligned with a common goal. But I think the how is the most challenging part. So what are your thoughts on improving relationships and getting connected more? That is so important. And thank you for bringing this up as our closing. Since so many of your listeners are in HR, that's really the great opportunity that we all have in our companies is to look at the ways that in our unique setting, and each setting is different and unique because each of our settings have different and unique people in them. We have the opportunity to find out and build on the things that connect us versus the things that separate us. And what I have found, particularly in our own organizations, is that we tend to get in these silos. Either we tend to work in our unit and we you know, stay with our group or with our unit. And breaking down those silos is, I think, one of the largest challenges that our HR and human resources departments have and our leaders have. And part of that is we lead by example. And the leader who can himself or herself embrace bringing us together in all of our forms. And if he is or she is exhibiting those big four, they're going to be open to having the opportunity to build on our strengths and our own similarities versus focusing on what makes us different. So the finance people, yes, they're important and they're an important part of the company. But the product development people are important too. And when we can come together and recognize that we each have a way to contribute, finance people aren't just saying no. They're saying no because there are some other reasons that's driving that. And the new innovation people can understand that, no, we can't just go out and spend all kinds of money to innovate. (laughs) So when we have those opportunities to be together, and figure out what's the best way that will drive our company or our organization forward, we're at our best. Leaders exhibit that in their own actions, and they encourage that with their teams and with their employees. Jackie, I've so enjoyed speaking with you on your book. Where can people learn more about your book, about you, what you're up to? Thank you for having me. I very much enjoyed our conversation. Seven Secrets of Responsive Leadership.com or JJSAdvising.com. You can find me and my schedule. And I would love to communicate with any of your listeners. And I hope that they can get some nuggets from my book. Excellent. Thanks, Jackie. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great afternoon.